0: This is The River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome.
1: I remember going down, and then I remember waking up. And the one thing to me that stood out to me is I I feel like I could see my eyelashes opening. And it was to this giant Australian man who I'm pretty sure is close enough that his beard was tickling my face, yelling at me, Come on, Joe. Come on, Joe. Get up. Get up. And as soon as my eyes opened, you could barely see through his beard, a big smile on his face. And it was like he was waiting to throw the aspirin in my mouth.
0: Welcome to our 2024 season of the River Radius podcast. This episode comes to you from our first ever live episode recording event. My guest is Joe Ellis. Joe is a longtime commercial river guide. And in May of 2023, While rowing a paddle boat down the South Fork of the American River in California, Joe experienced a massive heart attack. Immediately, his fellow river guides administered CPR and applied an AED to Joe. This episode is the story of that day, how this impacted Joe, and how AEDs intersect with commercial river guiding. Because it's relevant to this episode, an AED is formally called an automated external defibrillator. This is typically a lightweight and portable device that has two electrode pads that are applied to the bare chest of a person experiencing a cardiac emergency. The AED reads their heart rhythm and, if needed, provides a calculated electric shock, bringing their heart rhythm back to normal. This live episode is recorded at the American Outdoors Association Conference in December of 2023. Joe and I both travel to Phoenix, Arizona to this annual conference. This is a conference attended by commercial river outfitters from across the United States and by many of the river boat and river gear companies providing gear for outfitters. This conference has talks and classes on best practices and emerging information for the commercial river guiding industry. In front of a crowd of about 100 people at the AOA conference, Joe told me his story. And so this episode is that recording. We start off with AOA volunteer task force member Jess Wallstrom introducing our episode. All right, we're gonna get started. Thanks everybody for filling in.
1: We'd like to introduce Sam Carter from River Radius podcast and his guest Joe Ellis here as our speaker. They're gonna get going here. At the end, we're gonna take questions. We're gonna walk around with the microphone and it is going to be recorded and part of the podcast. We'll have about 10, 15 minutes at the end to do that. I'm Jess, I'm from ORS, and this actually happened, this story that you're going to hear happened right across from our operation on the American River, so I'll hand it over to these guys.
0: Right on, thanks for being here everybody, welcome. I'm Sam Carter, I have the River Radius Podcast. This is Joe Ellis, and he's the guest. His story was brought to me by a friend of his through good old Instagram messaging. Joe, thanks for coming. <laughs> Would you, Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Would you would you do the thing? Would you give a self introduction? Tell us your name. How you live your life?
1: So my name's Joe Ellis. Uh, I am got into the whitewater industry in 1995. I left uh, left my high school in Sacramento, California, not really going in the right direction, and uh, had a friend that introduced me to this. And uh, I'm still in the industry all these years later. Uh, took a little break to raise some children. But I started on the South Fork of the American, um, learning how to guide, learning a lot about cutting vegetables and how to make pineapples look pretty and all that cool stuff that I see smiles. So everyone else got the same classes out on the river, the pineapple boats and all that. And kind of left California for about 10 years, went up to Ashland, Oregon and uh, got stuck in Ashland, Oregon for about 10 years on the Upper Klamath, the Cal Salmon, Lower Rogue and really solidified my passion for, for what I wanted to do in my life. And with that being stated, I ended up being a teacher. As a teacher, I get to go play on the rivers in the summer. So throughout my, my history as a teacher, a big part of that has been going back to the rivers each, uh, each summer. And I've raised a family, uh, two small children right now, or two children, they're not small anymore. Um, and I uh, have a, a son who kayaks and skis. And this is, uh, this is our passion. Still is.
0: So let's go to May 20th, 2023. That was this year, this summer. Um, that was Saturday. Uh, tell me about that day. Tell me, tell me about the morning at your house and and then at the guide warehouse.
1: So backtracking to, to the Friday before, super excited that I was going to go on my first raft trip of the season. Um, as we know, it was a pretty high water year throughout California. Was uh, excited, nervous at the same time. I uh, was going to be taking down my son's eighth grade teacher and his whole family. Uh, they were also very close friends, drinking buddies, things of that nature. Um, Saturday morning, woke up, gave my girlfriend a kiss goodbye, went to my local donut store, which oddly enough, and in kind of an odd way. Some of my favorite things in life are coffee and donuts. And so my last meal of that lifetime, my past life would have been a donut and a coffee. So went up to the guide shack, nothing was out of whack. Everything was as planned. Um, Lots of hugs, first time I'd seen a lot of people, as we know, in the beginning of the season, lots of hugs to go around, lots of happiness, people bouncing around, high water definitely, definitely brings a little bit of nerve, but on the other hand, being on the South Fork and having a pretty solid handful of trips out there, I felt pretty confident about what was going on. Um, like I said, nothing felt anything. I didn't feel anything different. Went up to the put-in at Chili Bar uh, to drive away, pumped up two or three boats. For me personally, that's, I, I, I still enjoy pumping up boats. That sounds weird to some people, but still enjoy it, gets me warmed up makes me happy. Um, I am a strength conditioning coach so that's also I think comes into play a little bit with what I enjoy doing but got on the river, had an amazing day and uh, yeah, everything was a pretty normal morning until it wasn't so
0: Today's episode is sponsored by AED One Stop Shop AED One Stop Shop has been a vendor member of AOA, the American Outdoors Association conference, for 10 years supplying AEDs to river outfitters. AED One Stop Shop is providing a bulk order discount on their AED bundles right now that allows for complete deployment of AEDs throughout your river outfitting company. This bundle includes the Heart Sign Samaritan AED, which is 2.4 pounds and is the most tolerant to dust and water. This bundle also includes trauma shears, gloves, shaving razor, and a protective carrying case. To gain this discount, use the link in our show notes, on our website, or in our Instagram link tree to hit the landing page for AED One Stop Shop. Our sponsor today is Covered With Carrie, a health insurance agency. Carrie herself is a river runner and a river guide, and I personally have my health insurance through Covered With Carrie. Open enrollment for all individuals who do not have health insurance ends on January 15th. Most people who work in the outdoor tourism industry, such as River Guides and Adventure Sports community members, qualify for year-round special enrollment, which means you can start your health plan at any time. Covered with Carry works nationwide and can help River Outfitters organize individual health plans for their guides, and Carry can set up group health plans also. Use the link in our show notes in our Instagram link tree, and on our website to set up an appointment with Covered With Carrie. You push out, and you're heading down river, you're having a good time. I've seen the video, you sent me a great video of you crashing through some waves and stern mount, paddle raft, having fun. What starts to get your attention? What's changing with your body?
1: So the South Fork is laid out in two sections, the Chili Bar stretch and the Lower Gorge stretch, and we were running the full river that day. So about three quarters of the way down uh, through the through Chili Bar, made it through all the major rapids, going through the flat stretches, and the bottom, kind of the in-between stretches, and I started just kind of getting uncomfortable, like almost just an itching feeling, um, burning sensation from shoulder to shoulder, and. You know, to a point we're all river guides, we all play jokes on each other to the point that it was burning so bad that I actually opened my shirt smelling for tiger bombs, seeing if one of my buddies by chance, you know, did something, got a laugh out of it. Just really didn't really didn't think that anything was gonna progress further, but couldn't figure out why. Did I have heartburn because of the donut and the coffee, which isn't abnormal for me. Still eating donuts and coffee. And just started getting a, an, an itching sensation, that burning, um, if you've ever eaten a spoonful of peanut butter and it doesn't go all the way down, started getting that kind of a sensation in my throat and still trying, to, still trying to talk with my guests, still trying to have a good time, the show must go on, kind of a deal, pushing everything aside, giving the history up through Chili Bar, all this different stuff. So,
0: so you're pushing down, you're going down river, you're feeling the symptoms, you're the, the you're the uh, the sweet boat, and you've got the you've got an AED on your boat. You've got the first aid kit. You've got the the wrap kit, and the safety kayaker is nearby, and you holler at the safety kayaker.
1: So we make it through what would be the last major rapid troublemaker. It's class three rapid um, on the on the upper stretch for uh, for our company, and then we hit the flats. And so about a quarter mile above, I start feeling that everything as we know when you get into a major rapid everything kind of goes blank goes numb you're so you're hyper focused on what you need to do so made it through that and immediately afterwards i could feel sweating coming on i could feel all this stuff and during the high water season we had i believe a safety kayaker for every three boats we had on the water so i blew my whistle safety kayaker came over and as we do as guides we kind of shove off all of our feelings trying to make people feel the best they can and so been over the back of my boat and just kind of said, "Hey, man, I need to get off the river." Harry, my friend, looked at me and said, "Now," and I, I said, "I, I think I need to get off the river. Something's not right." And he goes, "Okay," and I watched him literally with a wake behind his boat paddle off into the distance as I was the sweet boat and uh, paddle up to the lead boat. I didn't see him go around the corner. I didn't know when we were taking out. I didn't know where they were going to pull over, but. As I I always have as a guide, I try to take care of what's in front of me, just the people and kind of shove me off to the side and uh, take care of the guests at hand, though I was kind of rowing and having them paddle a little more than I usually do through the flat stretch. So
0: So all that happens and then you take out River Left, I think is what you told me, and it's at a park kind of thing. What happens there?
1: So I was pretty excited to come around the corner and see our lead boat, our trip leader, um, actually pulled over at a park um, around that corner. Um,
0: just, this is a kind of an urbanish trip.
1: So the, the middle stretch is definitely an urbanish trip and then you get out, I won't say in a wilderness trip, but you get out to where you're not near the roads other than four wheel drive roads or locked gates, things like that. So we pull over and at this point I'm at a park. We pull over before the boat even hits the shore. I still hadn't told my guests that I was leaving. Mind you, these are my family friends. They have two small children in the boat. And I'm not sure what's going on, but what I do know is that my symptoms were the same symptoms that my father had a year prior when he ended up going in for a quadruple bypass. And for a year he talked about burning chest and the doctor kept telling him it was, it was uh, acid reflux. He's 80 years old, he knows what acid reflux is and he knew that's not what it was. So that's part of the reason that I chose to get out. I also knew that if we rounded that corner It wasn't gonna be as easy for me to get the help that I needed if we did need it. So made a difficult decision in my head to actually get out of the boat. I jumped out of the boat in waist deep water and turned around to the young lady who was in my boat and said, I'm not gonna be able to finish the trip. I got something going on, I don't know what it is. And of course, family friends are like, Hey, do whatever you need. I got on shore and uh, Yeah, got on shore and went to our trip leader. I gave him a pretty big hug I told him I'm sorry something's going on he assured me there was no problem like whatever it takes we were fortunate enough that day to have a boat full of guides in training on the on the river and I turned around to my guests not knowing the young lady that was taking over my boat for me not knowing who she was at all looked at my guests, I said, you're in very good hands with this person, she's amazing, she's, she's done this a hundred times, guide confidence, right? So, still have our guide confidence, and uh, turned around to go proceed to, to load up whatever gear we needed to load, that included me getting my own personal gear, and at that point, grabbing my own personal gear, meaning un- it meant for me unstrapping all my straps, we know how near and dear those straps are to us, and uh, taking out the first aid kit, and the AED. And uh, turned around from there walked back to the van and uh was helping to load some stuff and as i turned back around i remember placing my hand on our trip leader's shoulder and saying his name and that's the last thing i remember before i in hindsight remember the rocks coming at my face and uh still remember that so
0: so excuse me i was able to talk to um Joe gave me a couple of his friends, uh, guide the other two two guys that were on a trip behind you, same company, different trip. Um, and so I talked to those two guys because as they came around the corner, they come to the park and they, what they said they saw. And these are these are, are from talking to them and talking to Joe. These are guys with global experience. They are EMTs, firefighters, and, and high level river guides. And they said they saw the uh, dead guy pose. And I had to think about what is the dead guy pose. Okay, I bet that, I had to think I know what that looks like. Hands on the hip, looking down at the ground, and there's someone in there. And it happened to be that the park was packed. There was a lot of river trips, a lot of people, a couple hundred people, I think was what I heard. Two hundred. They can see it's in the middle. Joe has has fallen out, smacked the ground with his face, hit the rocks, and um, these guys come up to shore. They blast in there and they grab their their pelly kits with all their gear, and these they kind of have their own stuff, and they are you know they leave their customers and they just are blasting through. <laughs> their description is uh, hilarious but not but hilarious it's it's allowed we've discussed it's allowed to laugh if you want to we We are allowed to smile a little bit you guys I'm here here. it's not all a terrible story so please (laughs) smile with us (laughs) So these guys blast through, they're pushing people out of the way, and I guess one's Australian and kind of rowdy, and you're just telling people to get the F out of the way and all this, and some guy started recording him all this, it was kind of rude. So they get in there, and they see, this is their story to me, I'm not there, but this is their story to me, that they see that it's going right. Joe had taken off his PFD, his paddle top layers, was down to just a thin layer or something because he was uncomfortable. So there was no real cutting of gear that they had to do. They see that the AED is being applied and that there's a dude on top doing CPR. I didn't tell you this part that they said, but Matt said something like, got to do that CPR fucking harder. That's Thor. He's huge. Break the ribs. And they're like up there like trying to pound on him and do the CPR. But they're doing it right. They're doing the CPR right. They've got the AED strapped on. They're getting, they're about to go. What was interesting that I did hear him say is that there was like people who were wet, guides, touching you and didn't really realize that they were gonna interfere with the reading of the 80s. So they get pushed off, they get screamed off, they get out of the way, they do the reading, they zap you, and boom, you come back. Where do you pick it up?
1: So the one thing that that people ask me, obviously all the obvious questions, I remember going down and then I remember waking up. And the one thing to me that stood out to me is, and I've tried to recreate it laying in my bed, is I, I feel like I could see my eyelashes opening and it was to this giant Australian man who I'm pretty sure was close enough that his beard was tickling my face, yelling at me. Come on, Joe, come on, Joe, get up, get up. And as soon as my eyes opened, you could barely see through his beard, a big smile on his face. And it was like he was waiting to throw the aspirin in my mouth. And he literally, the first things I remember is in Australia, his, his accent going, chew, chew, chew. And he was literally fingers down my throat, having me chew on a piece of aspirin. I'd still at this point not realized what had happened. I knew, I knew something happened. I mean, you're laying on your back, I look around. I remember distinctly seeing my family friends off to the side. Um, it, little overwhelming at that point, you know, just to see like what happened, did my face get broken? I still at this point, heart attack wasn't an option. It wasn't even registering in my head. I felt like I was about 800 pounds. There was nothing moving on my body. I was wide awake. I said, I'm here, Matt, I'm here, you know? And he said, good to go. And then a bit later, I'd still not been told what was going on. And it wasn't until I had EMS standing over me, and I guess we could backtrack a little bit to start with, EMS was down that day. And for whatever reason, the company had uh, obviously been relayed back to the owner. The owner made 11 phone calls, I believe, that he had showed me on his phone, all to please try your number again. And so... 911,
0: please, 911, try, your number.
1: please try your phone 911, please try your phone call again. So for whatever reason, he was able to get a hold of someone, um, I believe, in the firehouse. I'm sure he had a handful of words for him, but in those words saying, get to the park, one of the guys has had a heart attack. And I still didn't know any of this, and so when EMS finally did show up, they had started, I'm still laying there, just kind of looking around at the crowd. I don't even know if I'm naked at this point. I can't feel my body at all. And uh, just kind of looking around, small communication with Matt, um, the gentleman that was over me. And EMS showed up and they started rallying off the statistics. He got off the river at this time. He went down at this time. I'm registering, kind of shaking my head, got it, got it. And the next thing they said was we shocked him at this point. And I remember turning to Matt and I said, you, you motherfuckers shocked me. And it was like literally the first time that it registered. Holy shit. Like they don't shock. Yeah. They don't, they don't shock you unless you didn't faint and get shocked. You know, it was the first time it registered in my head that that had happened. And Matt just kind of put his hand on my chest. He said, you're good, man. You're good. And, uh, Yeah, it was pretty overwhelming to see that as I was getting pulled off in a stretcher into the ambulance, looking around, there's 200 deep, you know, of people staring at you. All your friends are there. I have to literally look at my longtime family friends, my son's eighth grade teacher. I'm I'm a week out of watching him graduate from eighth grade. So pretty big deal at that point. So yeah.
0: So you, you're there, you're back, Your Matt's presence is known to you, and EMS is down, it's slow, the firehouse is five minutes away, it takes 25, 30 minutes for them to get there, they come in, and they do the urban evac and get you out. What's do a brief on the rest of the day that you know. So
1: I had to make a couple, uh, couple hard phone calls, obviously, from the ambulance. Um, that was my first introduction to fentanyl, so... Um, I I do remember that as being like the guy definitely got a smile out of me and uh, he said, you want fentanyl? And I said, I don't know, man. I've been reading a lot about that lately. I'm a school teacher, you know, and he looked at me with dead serious eyes and smiled and he said, I assure you that our quality control is better than what you're going to find at your school. (laughs) And, you know, I I smiled. I said, I said, just treat me like I'm your son or your father, whatever one. I said, I think you're younger than me, so treat me like your father. And so, With that being stated, he administered what he needed to administer. Just I think it was more to calm me down. My heart was still racing. They weren't sure if I was still in cardiac arrest, um, what was going to happen next. Um, My first phone call was to my girlfriend. Um, God bless her. She was going to the hospital already to pick up her mother from a shoulder surgery that she had to be discharged that day. And I called her and she heard me out and heard what I had to say. And she finally said, I know. Said, the owner already called me and uh, said, I'll meet you. She goes, oh, I think I just saw you pass me. Mm. So the ambulance comes onto the freeway as she was getting off the freeway to go elsewhere to pick up her mother and take care of some stuff. So she turned around and followed me to the hospital. My next phone call was to my father who laughed at me and kind of said, come on, Joe, you know, what are you talking about? said, dad, I'm serious. Like this is, this is what had happened. Everything's fine. This is where I'm going. So he went home and uh, as he stated, told my mother and obviously she thought he was joking too. Um, I'm a strength and conditioning coach at high school. I eat nearly all wild game. We eat vegetables. Um, I'm avid in what I do as a fitness and health guy. Sure. I drink a little bit. Sure. We all have some fun like that, but Nothing warranted this. So going to the hospital, they admitted me in there and my amazing EMT friend, now that I've made friends with, the paramedic, as we're walking in, I remember staring. I mean, I couldn't move at that point. I just kind of felt heavy. I'm sure the fentanyl had something to do with that as well. But staring at the lights as they go by and the guy kind of peeked over me and uh, he looked at me and stated, he goes, I'm going to be super blunt with you, man. He said, if you do not have something that you need to tell these doctors that's that talking about your pain levels or your health, I'm gonna tell you to shut the fuck up. And that's literally what he told me. He goes, I say that with all due respect. He said, there's an organized dance that's about to go on. There's gonna be at least 20 doctors. So rolling in there with the 20 doctors and it was an organized dance. They put a stent in me. Um, I was able to see my girlfriend. She said, hello, took my belongings. And uh, next thing I remember, I was off in a room so, um, in that room was having a hard time going in and out of what they call VTech. I still don't know all the science behind it, but I do know that I could tell you when the alarm was going to go off. I could feel it in my chest. Um, to this day, I can tell you guys that I feel every heartbeat, <laughs> like, um, you guys started coming in, I can feel my heart rate come up. You know, I'm about to be talking in front of people. And so that night they allowed me to have, it's, it's crazy to think as a 46-year-old man, they said, you can call your mother and you can call your girlfriend. And even though there's no visiting hours, they're welcome to come back and stay as long as they want. They said, some people have family that cause these problems. Some people have pro- families that solve these problems. And so girlfriend got in bed with me. The VTAC went away. Pretty amazing to think she now gets the luxury of saying she's the love of my life. <laughs> you know, So it's uh, I get the luxury of having love in my life, but we can actually say that. So pretty smiling, good smiling point for us. So.
0: so that's the story. There's more to it. That's what we're going to use for now. And we're going to kind of talk around some of these other topics and ask some questions. Kind of the first batch I want to ask for some key factors going on here. So I'm also a male, a man, and there's a lot of things to read and talk about and understand that, often men are shy to talk about their health especially as health quality decreases and there's a point in your day when you're going down the river that you decide to holler at the safety kayaker and we talked about this earlier that if you had decided to you had the guts the braveness in that moment to say Harry help out you know I got to get out of here so Harry rallies and if you hadn't in that moment if you would had even just waited a half a mile you would have blown past the park and gone into the wild canyon area. Like, and as you said, it would be different. Like you probably would have died in the boat, like potentially. They might have been able to pull it off. They might have been able to pull it off. But the point is, the question is not about what if. The question is, where in your life does that trust in yourself and that bravery come from to speak out in that moment that you are in dire need of some of the most maximum help you can get?
1: That was definitely a hard part. I mean, we've all had, we've all been on these trips where this is our job. This is what we do. My, my biggest passion is taking people down the river. I, I, that's, that's literally, if I could do it every day, all day, that's what I would do. And, and being raised in a family that, my, we, were, we were allowed to show emotion. We did show emotion, but it wasn't easy for me. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a quitter, right? Like the standard, I don't quit. I've, I played football all through high school with my ankles wrapped in tape because I had sprained ankles all the time. I, I just it, It's not my nature to say that, and so it was a pretty hard decision. And at one point or another, I don't know if it was my dad speaking to me in my head about his pain. I didn't know how long it was going to last, but it, it was difficult. But on the other hand, I've, I've sworn myself I'm going to be a pain in the ass to every doctor that's ever around me. You know, especially after this, we only get one shot at this. So being able to, you know, take that shot and say, hey, I need to get out wasn't the easiest decision. And for me, I still so funny that I still think about like, oh, I let my team down. It's like, no, I, I didn't let my team down. And actually my team shined because of what I did, which is pretty amazing. You know, so to have these people around you that support you. And I think part of it is the group that's around you that allowed me to give up or to quit and say, hey, I'm out, knowing that those guys weren't gonna get mad at me. It was a big it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. So.
0: So another key factor then is that there was an AED on your boat. <laughs> I mean, like right here, really handy. Yeah. And um, we were talking with Frank, who sells AEDs right over there, but in the red shirt right here. We were talking with him about the timing of these things, like that you have Two, three, four minutes to get that AED attached to the person before things change and the percentage of survival goes down. So the other key factors are, and I'm just going to kind of talk through these and just have you talk about them, is that you have AEDs on the boats, uh, one per trip, and that there was a few different trips out there. Um, The guides are trained and that they know how to use these. And then I think one of the most interesting parts of all that is that what Matt and Yuri told me, these are, again, the guides, his pals, and the trip behind them who blasted through and kind of really took over and made sure it was all good they said that they're that they just let their training take over like we're taught when we take the woofer and the swift water rescue just let your training take over and they just let their training take over and they did not they they went through it with no fear they didn't they knew it was you their friend their colleague but they didn't approach it any different than they would if it was a person they didn't know a client can you just talk about that part of it, the AED, the guides, the training, all the value of that?
1: You know, the, the training, it's pretty amazing when you when you walk around, and I'm sure this is the same on on most of the rivers that are represented here, but I walk around on the South Fork, and the South Fork tends to be known as a place where people go to learn how to raft, people, the people start their careers, um, sometimes like me, come back and finish them, but the amount of training that is on that river and the, the group that I was with, I mean, it's it's crazy to think, who was there? I mean, I'm the most untrained person on the river, having done CPR twice in my life with somebody um, being around it. I do, I do look at myself. I'm on the safety team at school, all that stuff. Like I look at myself as someone who's safety oriented, and when I look at who I was surrounded with, um, you know, we have I believe six or seven EMTs that work for us. Um, I think we have one or two paramedics. We have three firefighters it's, it's a pretty, pretty incredible group of humans that, that get to be spread throughout all these different trips. And I'm only speaking about one company and I know that, that OARS is represented here. I know they have some incredible guides on the South Fork. I mean, the amount of rivers that are, that are represented just in this crowd alone, I'm assuming that we could all talk about, you know, the, the extent of it, that, of how much training we have, you know, 27 years in this business, or I think my math's off, I'm a PE teacher, but, um, You know, it's, it's the, in this, when you're around it this long, you learn things and it's, it's, you learn how to be calm and cool and collected. And, you know, obviously being the guy on the other end of it, I didn't see Yuri and Matt and Christian and Rebecca and all these amazing people that were around me that it's my understanding that I hit the ground. And almost before I hit the ground, I was rolled over by a female guide. And if you guys, I'm 250 pounds and that was The first conversation I had with Christian, who was the guy that caught me, he's a Costa Rican, and he looked at me and he said, you're a heavy motherfucker, man. (laughs) So I think that was our first, after the hug, that was our, he just shook his head and looked at me. But not one of those guys or girls hesitated in that moment. I mean, not one of them. And so to have that capability on top of, I just took my AED out of the boat. I mean, when I was laying in the hospital, I can't tell you how many doctors that were not mine walked in peek their head around the corner and they said, Hey, they said, we just wanted to see the guy that was carrying his own AED. And I mean, I'm 46 years old. I, I, I'm now having conversations with my father about the medications we're taking and he's 80. It's like, you know, and it's, it's because of a device that was there. It was because of men and women that literally did not hesitate to even, it didn't matter if it was me, if it was Sam, if it was one of you. And I truly believe that in the situations I've been in on these rivers, out on the Middle Fork of the American, out in the wilderness, things like that. It doesn't matter if it's another company. I'm confident in the people that are around me. And if, if I wasn't, I wouldn't be working there. I can, I, it's everything that I've ever believed kinda came to fruition that day and surrounded by me, which is crazy to think that.
0: So I want to ask a, a few kind of I want to mingle in the risk management for a little bit here, um, and come back to some of the other parts of the story. The AED question conversation—they're not cheap, you know. They're they're a thousand to two thousand bucks to have this device, and then they get wet. Your buddies were telling me about some of the AEDs that got so wet that they're going off in the back of the—you know, like they're in the Pelican case in the back of the boat. Apply the pads, apply the pads, and uh, it's, it's the wrong time. The question is around the idea of like in an urban setting, I hear the conversation that you can have them stationed at bridges or at firehouses, that the guides know where they are in that in that route on the six mile trip, whatever that is. But we've also kind of touched briefly on the idea that you have minutes. I'm kinda of curious from your angle, you're a river guide and you've also you're sitting here because of the AED and some fast action. What do you think about that idea of having having the, the like one or two AEDs stationed at various places versus on the back of your boat?
1: I think we know the obvious answer that's going to come from me. <laughs> but with that in mind, I um, have several friends that own small companies all the way up to large companies. It's, it's an investment. It's hard. But, uh, you know, having that in the back of the boat with your person, um, having it in the bus on the way up to the put-in, having it with each trip. I mean, there was essentially two AEDs and I think by the time I left, there was three AEDs on site, which is we are fortunate enough at the company I work for to have that. And it's not something that may be possible or feasible for everybody. When I was in Oregon working on the Upper Klamath at, uh, at all the major rapids, Hell's Corner, Caldera, all these places, there was the backboard tree. There was a backboard, there was a C-spine, there was all that stuff and that's feasible. And I I would like to see that more. I think every single river at major rapids, there should be something tied up in the trees. There should be something that we can all share. As far as an AED, that's tough. I mean, if that was me and I had passed out in between that park and in between the first rapid and the AED was stationed down at the first rapid, somebody would have to row down. They would have to run back up. I know my stamina, as great a shape as I think I'm in, isn't that good, especially when you're running through poison oak and over tree branches. And hopping over eddies, swimming through them, so I mean, obviously you guys know what my answer is going to be. In the boat is is probably the place to be. This is my own personal one that I keep pointing at. Number one, hope it never gets used. Number two, I hope it's get to return the favor to somebody, and that's why I purchased it. That's why I ended up purchasing it. So, I think if it's possible at all costs, they should be in the back of of every trip. Not every boat, but every trip, and you know, that day I was a sweet boat. I tell my guests, that's part of my speech. Why are we in the back? I wanna be in the front. <laughs> well, you need to get in another boat. I said, I'm in the back because bodies float faster than boats do. And that's always my deal, you know? So I said, we wanna watch what other people do. We wanna see what to do, what not to do. And so everyone usually agrees. It's very, haven't had too many complaints on that comment, but I also have all the first aid kit. I have the AED, And so for me, it's a comfort as a guide I am in control of my scenario until I'm not, but I had the right equipment with me. So it's hard for me to say that this should be something that every company should do. You should do this. and it's, I can't say that, but on the other hand, I can say this is what saved my life. And the only reason that I'm here is not that we had one in my boat, but I could have been on any of those trips. And on any of those trips, we had well-trained guides and we had AEDs. And that's the one thing I can say, that's how I can speak to that. So, I'm so, happy.
0: <laughs> another, another risk management question that, that comes up for me is, is not this situation for you, but the challenge for the outfitting company and the guide crew in relation to your clients. And their role, the, the client's role in being honest to the guide company about their own health conditions. But the, the, the very likely story is that we don't, as guides, you're not going to get the information. You're not going to get the true story. So where does that all mix into this, this feeling of, of caring and going to great lengths to take care of people when you're really walking into situations that it's unknown, their, situa- their, their, their health, and and how, and how unexpected your event was?
1: See, and that's, we've all probably been a part of a bee sting. We've all probably been a part of someone drinking the soda that the bee goes in the mouth or they get stung and their arm swells up, throat swells up. That's like the standard, it seems like, on the river. You know, we can be prepared for that, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, a guest not telling you. I mean, every one of us in our safety talk, if there's anything that we need to know, please tell us. I mean, I'm not going to say, hey, I might have a heart attack. So that's the, I mean... Of all the ways for me to go on the river, that was not the way I expected to go. Like, literally, was not. And you know, to to have to, to trust our guests is a is something that I will no longer take lightly. And I don't know how I'm going to change that. I don't know what I'm going to do. I know on some rivers they put them through swim tests. They do things like that on Cherry Creek um, down on the Tuolumne. I mean, it's a it's a real deal. And the guests do have a chance of not being able to go on the trip if they are not fit to to follow. And it's tough and I'm not a company owner and I am, you know, I'm I'm a guide. I'm a trip leader at best. And you know, it's a hard thing. I I try to have conversations with nearly every group. I mean, not try, I do. Have a conversation with every group that's on my trip. I mean, I'm not just responsible for my boat as a trip leader. I'm responsible for all the boats on my trip. And so I try to have those conversations. I try to look through all that stuff, but you know i'm i might be one and i don't know how many million but shit it, it it happened you know and you know if you look at the people that i hang out with friendship wise in sacramento california i'm not the likely candidate all the time of the guy who's going to have the heart attack you know i'm the guy that's out on the river i'm the guy that's out fishing and hunting i'm the guy that's out backpacking or hiking you know and that's not who we get on our trips all the time and it's uh it's tough it's it's hard for the risk management point of view, and I'm, I'm happy in those ways that I'm not a company owner. You know, I, I do my best.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Covered with Carrie, a health insurance agency. Carrie's worked as a river guide, and her personal boat is a 10-and-a-half-foot paddle raft. I personally have my health insurance through Covered with Carrie. Open enrollment for all individuals who do not have health insurance ends on January 15th, Most people who work in the outdoor tourism industry qualify for year-round special enrollment, which means you can start your health plan at any time. Book a time now to talk with Carrie and learn if you qualify. River Outfitters are encouraged to contact Carrie and learn how she can set up health insurance on an individual basis for your guides, and she can explore group health plans. Carrie and her team work nationwide and they will work with you to find the plan that meets your health and financial needs. Use the link in our show notes, in our Instagram link tree, and on our website to set an appointment with Covered with Carrie. Get your health insurance from someone who understands the river lifestyle. Our sponsor today is AED One Stop Shop. AED One Stop Shop has been working with River Outfitters for 10 years and they are providing a bulk order discount on their AED bundles right now that allows for complete deployment of AEDs throughout your river outfitting company. AED One Stop Shop is a small business based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They carry all six brands of AEDs that are FDA approved. AED One Stop Shop is a national dealer for AEDs and they work direct with manufacturers providing lightweight and portable AEDs for specific needs, pediatric, adult, bilingual, to gain their bulk order discount. Use the link in our show notes, on our website, or in our Instagram link tree to hit the landing page for AED One Stop Shop. So, cu- coming back to you, um, I want to ask the idea around stress injuries, which you know are kind of coming to light more and more. Responder Alliance is doing great work. They've got a class tomorrow morning. They've been guests on the on the podcast. I'm curious. It's it's a, a serious event physically it's a serious event but it's also a, a big it's a big impact on our on, on your psyche to have that kind of situation happen to you like all the layers of the people around you that it impacts in so many ways and what carries forward what do you feel like is sticking with you like what's the resin from that situation that is still impacting your your feelings about a day or a moment what's with you still from that
1: so that's, yeah, that's, that's still the big thing that's following me around. I am physically, I feel like a hundred percent. We're never a hundred percent. We're always striving for it, but I feel like I'm at the best I'm ever going to be. Like, I feel great physically, but the, uh, the mental aspect is, is a, is a big deal. This is this will be my first kind of in public. I don't consider my classes in public. I can talk to kids all day. You put me in front of my peers, whew, that's a whole nother ball game. And so this is only my second outing. My first outing was about three weeks after, two weeks after it happened. I went to my, high, my, my school's high school graduation and the principal asked if he'd mentioned something about my incident, if that would be okay. And, and it was, it was fine, but mentally turned into physically. And so I say I'm fine physically and, and then somebody talks about my incident or I get nervous or something happens and mentally I start freaking out a little bit. And so this was my second second time out. I feel great. I'm, I'm still, it's because you guys are my community. Like literally it's, you guys are you're not necessarily, you're my friends. Like it, that's how it feels. You know, we're all, we all share the same stuff in life. And uh, this morning we're sitting in the award ceremony over in the, in the banquet hall. And we got done and looked at Sam and I said, I gotta go back to the hotel. And I said, I forgot to take my medication. And so when I forget to take my medication, it has no physical effect on me immediately. But here, it turns my heart on. So as soon as I realized that I forgot to take my meds, my heart started pounding. And it's like, I know I'm fine. And same thing happened at my high school graduation part. I got all the way up into the upper Klamath an hour in on a four by four road. And I had to basically hijack someone's vehicle and take it back down the four by four road because mine was attached to a trailer and I needed to get there faster to take my medication. I take my medication and the mental part goes away. It's crazy. Like I almost like they, it could be placebo. I don't know. I know it's not, but I mean, it feels that way sometimes. And so the mental part of it for me affects the rest of it. Um, You know, getting, Getting to school each morning, I'm a strength conditioning coach. My passion and my my kind of niche is working out with the kids. I like to work out with the kids. I do do that stuff. I go for runs. My joke is, if you get beat by an old man, you probably don't deserve an A. You know, it's kind of the, the running joke. And so I'll run with them. I'll lift with them. We're an actual CrossFit affiliate, and uh, I do my best. And now I have this unneeded fear of of running. It's like my heart's going to jump up and down, and something's going to happen, or Whatever it is, I can row all day in a boat. I can do things like that. But the, 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 the emotional part, people ask me how my first day was back on the river. At the end, I, got, I, I took a couple trips with my family and then about two or three commercial trips just to kind of get back on the horse. People asked how it was, and I said the hardest part is pushing off, you know, and literally getting into my boat. It doesn't leave your head. I just told Sam earlier that there's probably not a day that goes by where I haven't considered the the what-ifs, you know? And so trying to work through that, I've never had an incident in my life that I've had to work through on a daily basis, you know? I'm not a mess. If you didn't know it happened to me, you wouldn't know it happened to me. But it's always lingering, you know? I have two children, you know? They're obviously the love of my life, you know? I have my girlfriend, the love of my life, right? So it's all these to think about. Outliving, you know, outliving my parents, outliving me, you know, that all comes into play you're not supposed to lose your children you know I have a a cousin that passed away about I think for 15 years now passed away on the river and uh, that's what his parents always told me you're not supposed to outlive your children and so for me to have that thought it it sits pretty heavy on me on a day-to-day basis
0: and then uh, specifically your your peers your river guide peers that day Matt Yuri, Christian the other folks you said Harry I think I forget the other names but um, is there anything you can specifically cite with any of them where there's been kind of a, a, a carry on of the of the moment of the, like, like lingering pain and, and discomfort that's come from that that you've seen discussed and then we, I guess also how, that, like how they're working past that if they are or if they could do something different
1: you know and I can't I can't speak directly to their feelings um, that goes back to the whole male thing we don't necessarily sit down and say how are you feeling today you know but I I was able to be at the the company for the rest of the year in a different capacity. I wasn't on the river, so I got to see these people, and I can tell you right now, in one summer, I received more hugs than I probably received in the last ten years. So, is that letting it out? I don't know what it is. And I there was people that I didn't know. I'd go out, you know, we we'd go out at night sometimes. I'd go to the Coloma Club, and a random person would, you know, it's the local infamous bar there that you should probably not be at but we we go there anyways and I was getting hugs and it wasn't you're the guy it was I'm glad you're here man and so I think we all kind of utilize this in different ways um like Matt and Yuri had told us you know it was just something that we do it's it's what we do I think that might have been a different statement if I wasn't here per se but being that I'm here you know, I think it's a little different for some of them. Um, I've had several talks with Christian, the gentleman that I fell into his arms, which he still loves to talk about and all that stuff. But, you know, we, we've had our talks. He's been a part. Him and Matt have both been a part of, of different ones that happened on the river as well. There was a, three years before me, a very good friend of the company died while guiding. And uh, same capacity. And uh, they were both part of it. And I know Christian definitely has feelings. Why me? You know, the exact same scenario has happened to him two times now on that river, the exact scenario. I mean, if that doesn't weigh on somebody, one lived, one didn't, both very good friends. And so for him, you know, I, I, I wouldn't speak for him, but I know that weighs heavy on his heart. I don't, I, you know, we haven't had full conversations yet about it. This year is going to be a great year on the river. I'm going to be damn sure of it, you know? So it's, uh, it's nice. It's nice to go out on the river with him and I think part of getting back on the river is mending that and I think that helps all of us. So yeah.
0: From from talking to you we've talked on the phone so many times just to kind of work this out texting because we we live far apart from each other. California and Colorado and um you know you've told me things like uh, that you're still teaching school, like in the post, in the post-event life, in the post-heart attack life. Now you're still teaching school. You're still working on the rivers. You said you have more doctor visits. You're not carrying meds. You carry an AED. You did say to me today that you have less stress and a beautiful life. So I want to bring all this kind of into the end here, and then we'll move into the questions from the crowd, kind of, like, I think, a grounding of the story. I want to ask about about your life now and how that's going you've got uh, two kids you said Peyton and Aiden, you got your brother your family, you you all live close to each other your girlfriend Um, and I've never quoted Confucius in my life but uh, I'm going to go ahead and do that now something like this, Confucius says everyone has two lives and the second starts when you realize you just have one life I'm curious your thoughts on that and how that goes with you Yeah,
1: it's definitely been split up into two lives. Um, Went through a divorce about three years ago. And so maybe the stress of that, who knows, but I'm literally in the last three years have changed the course. Like it's, I've literally living two lives now. You know, coming out of this, things aren't as stressful. I mean, I literally, I, I try not to let the small stuff get to me. You know, if a student upsets me at school, it's not a big deal anymore. It's like, okay. They're not my children. I am doing my best to raise these kids in an environment that's not mine. They go home somewhere else. And so all I have is my children and my focus has become my family, my friends. I have two incredible families. I have my my river family and I have my city family. And both of them are the most incredible people in the world. I wouldn't give either one of them up. And so to take the time now, you know, it's, I would put things off to do yard work and now it's like, no, nah, the yard work can wait. I'm going to go do this. Or I, I would put something off to finish a project where now it's, no, I'm going to go get on the river today instead of finishing the project. Or I'm going to go hunting or I'm going to go up to the river, whatever it is. Things have just got a little more clear on what we're supposed to be doing or what I think I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I thought I had it down. I thought that I lived a pretty awesome life. You know, I, I hunt a lot, I fish a lot. I'm on the river a ton. I work a job that I love, Um, the kids I love for the most part as well, you know, Um, we all have our days, but you know, the biggest part for me is just kind of pushing reset and looking at what I have, not what I don't have. And I was really good at looking at what I don't have, you know, before it's like now I'll figure it out. And you always get told that and I know I'm telling you that now, but I promise it's real. (laughs) I guess it's real. Oh.
0: Well, we're going to do questions, but before we do that, I want to just give you the formal here. Thank you for being brave and answering my call, being brave when I said, how about we go to this conference together and, uh, and then just being brave here today and sitting here you, in front of this crowd. Appreciate you guys. Thank this. you. Yeah, nice job.
1: Thank you for having me out. Yeah, so I you appreciate bet. it.
0: So here's what's up. Uh, Jess is going to cruise the microphone around, and if you have questions, we hope you have questions. We're totally psyched to hear your thoughts. Give us your name and whatever, your guide company or association, whatever it is you do, tell us, give the question. We'll go for it. Hello, my name is Kelly McGrath. I work for Canon Explorations as a guide manager, and it's more of a comment, and you spoke a lot to it, uh, but just you coming up here and sharing your story and the emotional piece and how just how much that comes up. As you're telling it, I could feel it. I could hear some of the emotion, the tears, and it's a big deal, and uh, I don't think that can be expressed enough. And so gratitude for you being able to do that and being willing to to take take away what you learned and put yourself in this position because it is a big deal to share all of that. So thank you. Thank you. Dania Egeti with Chateau A. Trace Adventure Resort in Kentucky. And this is a little bit of a weird question, but I'm wondering if the trip went on after the park.
1: <laughs> That's actually a great question. And uh, the trip did go on. Um, the person that I bragged about so much who I'd never met in my life uh, took over the trip finished up. There's some amazing photos both before and after um, There's actually a video the video I said to Sam um, of of us in the rapid while I'm having my heart attack The trip did go on it was great um, about f- I got out of the hospital five days later and six days later. I got to go to my son's graduation and uh, his teacher was there with the family it was the first time i'd seen the whole family the daughter the son um pretty uh, pretty amazing little homecoming but they had a great time on the trip i i told them i said the next one's on me like you guys got to come back i mean we were so excited to go on the river that day you know and and it did go on and i'm, I'm very proud of the company they did they had the option they they had the option to do whatever they wanted and uh they chose to go on the trip with two little kids, and I'm, I'm really glad they did. I'm just only upset that I didn't get to be the one to take them. So we'll do it again. We already have it planned and not a date, but we will do it again. So, uh,
0: Kate Roswin, marketing assistant for OARS. How long was it after the incident before you got back on the river again? And were you nervous, scared getting back on, uh, just stoked to be back on the river?
1: So the one part that we didn't talk about is I got to wear what I ended up coining as my bra. I have a whole new respect for women in 114 degrees with a bra on. So I had to wear a bra for four months that had not only a monitor in it, but it also had uh, an AED in it. And the guy told me that it might not be to save your life, but it might just be to thump you back into, if you go into AFib or whatever. So I got to wear this thing everywhere I went. And so for four months I was required to wear that. I had to get out of a cardiac program from the doctors I also had a retired fire chief as one of our trip leaders that every day I tried to get on a little early to get back on the river and he'd go and erase my name and he would say not a chance through the four months this isn't your back Joe this is your heart so not a chance because I'm going to be the one doing it back to you and so my first trip back uh my first trip back I had Three EMTs and two firefighters guiding with me on the trip. <laughs> so my there's there's uh, three Joes that work for our company. I'm now cardiac Joe. When it goes so when it goes up on there, there's either a little heart next to my name or it says cardiac Joe. And uh, the trip was amazing. And the the first trip I did was part of a commercial trip. I took my family down, and it was a great day. It was the first day of my son actually guided a uh, guided a class he guided troublemaker for his first time which is a notorious rapid on south fork and he didn't know he was guiding it he'd only rode a boat one time and he cleaned it he did awesome um and so it was just it was a really special day for more than one reason and like i said earlier the single hardest part of that entire day was shoving off the shore and then my first commercial trip back rounding the corner at the park where you guys both know where it is um uh, that's where the, the heart starts thumping a little bit. It's like, holy shit, like this is, I mean, it's not the point of no return, but it really is for accessibility other than down by the highway rapid, which isn't very easy to get to either, you know? I mean, it's it was a big deal to go back on the river for me. And like I said, that was the most hugs I've had in a single summer, you know, it was pretty incredible. So yeah, and I will be back this summer. So not going away that easy. Hi, I'm Jerry McAward from Jim Thorpe River Ventures in Pennsylvania and Lehigh River. And this is Sandy, our river manager. And I can, uh, having been involved in a couple of similar things from the rescue side, I can uh, guarantee you we're going to use, and everyone here will likely um, use this whole podcast or parts of it as part of our guide training to um, not only for their own health and care and self awareness, but the fact that we're all providing a gateway experience for many people who may be the more likely person to go through that. So my my hat's off to you. Thank you for sharing. That's great. That's awesome. Thank you. Hi, my name is Cole with Mustang Survival and Downriver Equipment. How long have you guys had AEDs on your boats, on your trips, and what was the process of originally getting those and that decision to include them like? So I've only been with this company for three years. Like I said, I started on the South Fork and I I took off I used it for a trip around the world and uh, worked as many places as I could, and then came back to retire on my home river. But when I showed up, I believe three or four years ago, I think we had them on just our wilderness runs, and then we started looking from a point of well, if we have them on those, we should probably have them you know on the other ones, and from that aspect, you know. You go on the Class Four rivers, you tend to get you tend to get don't let, don't mistake it, but you tend to get more fit people. You tend to get people that are more high energy, high adrenaline. It's the Class Two and Three rivers that you get the families, the out of shapes, the probably maybe not should be there all the time, you know. And so I think that came into play. And then when uh, we had uh, our other guide that passed away on uh, on the same river. Um, I think that was kind of a deal sealer for him and then I think I was kind of the proving grounds of why I know there's more on order for him he wants them in the buses now I mean he's it's pretty amazing to work for a company that 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 does that that much and it's it's because he can you know and it's I know that not everyone in this room has the capability to go buy 25 AEDs or 30 AEDs you know I mean that's that's a it's a big investment <laughs> like I I get it it was it was a big investment for me to buy one, you know, so I, I totally understand that. But the process was, I think, three to five years of collecting them and making them happen. So He is uh, American Whitewater Expeditions, Arnie. So Arnie Shandola. So yeah, yeah, he's, I mean, hats off to him. He's, that company's the reason I'm here. I mean, literally is, and I know we're all incredible companies, but on that day, that's the reason I'm here. So.
0: all right any other questions before we wrap it up cool so here's what happens next in case you're wondering i'm recording it and this will actually publish january is the plan it'll come out live and um yeah thanks for being a part of the audience of the first time we've ever done a river radius like this it's really fun i'm glad to have you I'll say what you say at this point. You can listen on all platforms. You can find us on social media. You can come up and say hi. Yeah, right on. Thank you all. I love rivers. I love river guides. And glad to be in your company here today. And uh, yeah, be cool. Have a great conference. Thanks, Joe. A lifelong river running size thank you goes out to Joe Ellis for joining the River Radius and telling his story. Thank you also goes out to Joe's good friend, Ben Stokesbury, for initially bringing this story to the River Radius. And thank you to Charlie Walbridge. Charlie is a pillar in the river safety community and manages the accident database for the nonprofit river access organization, American Whitewater. Charlie talked with me about heart attacks in river settings, the reporting of them and what might not be reported. And finally, thank you to the American Outdoors Association for opening their conference to the River Radius in this live episode event and that thank you deeply extends to Hillary Wicks for coordinating everything associated with this event, and to Karen Short for getting us all lined up in Phoenix. If you would like to talk with the River Radius about hosting a live episode at your venue, please contact us by email, hello at theriverradius.com. Our sponsors today both support River Guides and the River Guide industry, AED One Stop Shop, and Covered with Carry. You can find their links in our show notes on our website and our Instagram link tree. You can find other relevant links for this episode in our show notes. All River Radius social media is supported by Samantha Sice. All River Radius music comes from the lap steel guitar of Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius.
1: My last meal of that lifetime, my past life would have been A donut and a coffee. Choo, choo, choo. You're a heavy motherfucker, man. I'm now Cardiac Joe. I get to go play on the rivers in the summer. The love of my life.